0: doing anything particularly spiritual we weren't on mission or anything I did go on mission to Manchester with the school uh, a couple of weeks ago where we did gardens and we helped people who were cancer sufferers um, Joe hasn't got such an excuse for going to Manchester we just went for a 40th birthday party <laughs> however Joe has been quite inspired by the trip and wants to sing a song for, it. well I asked him to sing this song that A has been in the news quite a bit because of the events in Manchester um, that happened at the MEN arena uh, but also, uh, and it's been used as a bit of a response to that, but also it helps us with our theme today so uh, listen to Joe singing it, wonder how he gets the high notes and then we'll look at our theme together in a moment
1: Slip inside the eye of your mind Don't you know you might find a better place to play You said that you'd never be But all the things that you see will slowly fade away So I'll start a revolution from my bed Cause she said the brains I had went to my head I step outside cause summertime's in bloom And stand up beside the fireplace And take that look from off your face Cause you ain't ever gonna burn my heart out And so Sally can wait, she knows it's too late as we're walking on by, her soul slides away, but don't look back in anger, I heard you say. me to the place where you go, where nobody knows if it's night or day, but please don't put your life in the hands of a rock and roll band, who'll throw it all away, I'm gonna start a revolution from my bed. Cause she said the brains I had went to my head. Step outside cause summertime's in blue. Stand up beside the fireplace. And take that look from off your face. Cause you ain't ever got to burn my say
0: Fabulous, thank you everyone. Um, If you didn't recognise that song, I think it's number 302 in the Moody and Sankey hymn book. (laughs) We're going from Oasis now to uh, Lord Tennyson, so we are spanning culture today. Uh, There's a story told that in the latter 1800s, Alfred Lord Tennyson invited a Russian nobleman to his estate and early one morning this Russian nobleman took off with dogs and guns and servants to go hunting at midday he returned and Lord Tennyson asked him how he did he answered prepare for a very dodgy prepare uh, compare the market accent so he answered not very well I shot two peasants that was Russian (laughs) Lord Tennyson thought for a moment and then said no we pronounce it with a ph here it's it is pheasants you shot two pheasants no the nobleman replied i shot two peasants they were insolent towards me i got angry so i shot them <laughs> today's sermon is all about anger the mental health charity mind says anger is a natural response to feeling attacked deceived frustrated or treated unfairly. Everyone gets angry sometimes. It's part of being human. It isn't always a bad emotion. In fact, it can sometimes be useful. Well, we're gonna read an Old Testament story about somebody who struggled with anger and how it got them into trouble but also affected others around them. And actually, as you thumb through the Bible, there are so many stories about anger and how it got people into tricky situations. So, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from 1 Kings, and we're reading 1 Kings 21. And if you haven't got your Bibles, don't worry, you can follow on the screen. So, 1 Kings 21. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors he lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat his wife Jezebel came in and asked him why are you so sullen why won't you eat he answered her because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite sell me your vineyard or if you prefer I'll give you another vineyard in its place but he said I will not give you my vineyard Jezebel his wife said is this how you act as king over Israel get up and eat cheer up I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite so she wrote letters in Ahab's name placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him in those letters she wrote proclaim a day of fasting and seek Naboth in a prominent place among the people But seek two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king so they took him outside the city and stoned him to death then they sent word to Jezebel Naboth has been stoned to death as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death she said to Ahab get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Israelite that he refused to sell you he is no longer alive but dead And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he's gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you find me, my enemy. He said, I've found you. Because you sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, or that of Bashar, son of Aajah, because you have aroused my anger and caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He betrayed in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I'll bring it on his house in the days of his son. That's quite sobering. Reading that one, isn't it? I remember me and my brother Chris used to love this because we loved the idea of the dogs licking up blood, and we always used to find the sort of those sort of kings Samuel chronicles those stories that had a bit of gore in them and quite enjoy them but it is one of those curious passages that shows the wickedness of Ahab and Jezebel and how they constantly and shamelessly went against God's commands and God's people before we look at this in detail however can you turn to Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 4 that's going to come on the screen as well and we're going to read from uh, 21 onwards This is from the New Testament. So the earlier passage was from the Old and then this is after Jesus had died uh, and come back to life. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on the new self "'Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. "'Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood "'and speak truthfully to your neighbour, "'for we are all members of one body. "'In your anger, do not sin. "'Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, "'and do not give the devil a foothold. "'Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, "'but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, "'that they may have something to share with those in need.' So probably most people here are saying, well, we're not an Ahab and Jezebel, and we hope you're not. But there are some lessons we can learn about the way they went about their lives, and especially in this story. I know it's a very long passage, so if you didn't get the gist, Ahab tried to get Naboth to sell him some property that was situated next to the king's palace. And he offered him a very reasonable amount for the land. So you might be thinking, well, he was very reasonable, this. It was all very good. And one of the things we've got to think of, that this wasn't actually his main palace. This was his winter palace. So it was one of his extra ones. So that even makes it, as we see, how sad and depressed that Ayab gets, gets about it. You do think, well, actually, it doesn't sound reasonable at all. So he gave an offer for the land Naboth wouldn't sell. And actually Naboth was obeying a scriptural mandate to keep the land in the family. But no matter what King Ahab did, he couldn't get Naboth to sell. Naboth refused Ahab's offer and he understood the scriptures. And interestingly, Ahab would have known these scriptures very well too. But he would have just ignored them. Ahab, from his sort of power base of being the king, thought a good deal would be fine for Naboth and he couldn't understand why he stood his ground. Put yourself in Naboth's shoes. How would you have reacted against a wealthy, famous, notoriously unreasonable Ahab when you know what God has told you is right? King Ahab became very angry. Why? Well, one of the things was because he couldn't control Naboth's decision and Ahab was used to controlling other people and the way Ahab expressed his anger was very different from the way Jezebel's wife the way she put her anger into practice and we'll look at that in a little while Frederick Bushner said this about anger of the seven deadly sins anger is probably the most fun to lick your wounds to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savour to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback however is that what you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. And rather than accepting Naboth's explanation ahab reacted in anger but rather than demonstrating his anger through his temper initially it said he sulked he went to bed and put his face to the wall do you ever know anyone who reacts like that when i was writing this i thought oh i've probably done that a fair few times not put my face to the wall but uh but for ahab the sulking was a way of life At the end of the last chapter, the last thing it said about Ahab was, sullen and angry, the king of Israel went to his place in Samaria. So that's what he did. He just withdrew and began to sulk. However, Jezebel's way of expressing anger was different. Her way was to attack. Her anger was vented in a calculating, vicious way. She set up a mock trial and had Naboth killed and then took his land. There were many underlying problems with Ahab. Certainly, it was selfishness and greed. But also, he didn't like people saying no to him. He specifically felt he should be able to control other people. Have you ever dealt with a controlling person like that? Or what are you like? when you're not in control. There was that old British gas advert, wasn't there, where it said, don't you just love being in control? And they flicked their fingers and a flame came out. Loads of us want to be in control, don't we? And then we find it very difficult when things don't go to plan. Our deputy head here, a lady called Julie often will sit me in her office and go, now, Phil, don't get angry. Because she's about to tell me something, that an area that I control is going to change. And used to get quite het up. Now when I know that's coming, I'll put on the biggest smile I can just to try and be like, oh, it's fine. And then I'm like, oh, no. And that's often how we are, isn't it? When things we think we should control are out of our control or being changed, we don't like it. And some of the most miserable people I've ever met, and I imagine you've met, are controllers, people who want everything the way that they want and they can't cope if it isn't. Ahab's motives were wrong. But even when somebody has legitimate motives, can you leave the end result in God's hand? Well, let's give you an example of something that probably most of us can relate to or at least go, yeah, I can see this. You deserve the promotion at work. You work longer and harder than your associates. Your performance speaks for itself, but you don't get the promotion. You're not even given a decent explanation why. The promotion goes to a fellow employee that's far less qualified than you. We could think, well, that could be a reasonable cause for anger, couldn't it? Or maybe it could be a reason to look up into heaven and say, Father, I know promotion comes from you. I also know that you have my best interest in mind. So I commit this matter to you and even thank you for the protection you may be giving me in all. So our reactions don't always be, well, oh, this is unreasonable anger. Oh, this is reasonable anger so I can fill my boots now and be as angry as I like. It's about putting it back into God's hands. Ahab, though, didn't do that. And he also had a feeder of anger with him in Jezebel, and often others can be a fuel for our anger. She saw him angry, sulky, and helped his anger grow. She accepted his unreasonable, sulky behavior and validated it. Often, on Facebook and other social media, I'm surprised how anger and frustration are first expressed so easily, and also, other folk come in and validate it very quickly. How dare they do that to you? You're right to feel angry. Oh, put it back at them hun, and all stuff like that. If you're someone who can get down about things, get frustrated, fuming, the company you keep can be the key to end results. The fact that Ahab's company was Jezebel meant that there was really no happy ending for Naboth, Ahab, and herself as well. Do we surround ourselves with wise people who will show us peaceful solutions and tell us when we're out of order? Or do we actually enjoy the attention of the Jezebels around us and the idea that revenge can be had? Or think, well, we're right, so it is fine. So what's the solution? Well, faith in God. Perhaps an expression of faith that does not seem very spectacular, but it's essential to anger management. If I trust God to control the events of my life and the people who intercept my life, then I can relax and go with the flow. Much of our frustration is really a lack of faith, not really trusting him to control the course of our lives, still trying to maintain control. Maintain control self. Ahab got frustrated. And we talked earlier about the jars of grace. And probably one of the legendary um, examples of anger and frustration that's ever happened at Junction 10 was during the jars of grace ceremony where we had in the old building, we had a very narrow aisle and people were bringing their jars up and there a couple of hundred there and they're bringing them up. And two lads were given one jar to take between them. Parents, the moral of the story, two jars, two jars. Because they started off sharing, but as they got nearer and nearer to the platform, no, they each wanted to be the person to put the jar at the front. So it started a jar tug of war. People on the platform could see something was brewing, but the parent could see something was brewing, but because of the amount of people, there was no way the parent could get there, the people on the platform. And so the jar was soon in the middle of an almighty fist fight as these two young people, I think they are about four or five, wanted the jar to happen. and Nothing could be done about it. So if you're a person who gets easily angry, I'd probably suggest somebody else takes your jar up in September okay but this idea about frustration is often people are vulnerable to frustration Well, what's the what's the opposite what's the cure to being frustrated because frustration often leads to anger well a way to deal with anger is to deal with the vulnerability the way to not be frustrated is to trust there's a little boy with a bad temper his father gave him a bag of nails and told him that every time he lost his temper to hammer a nail into the back fence. I imagine he didn't live in Bilston. I imagine he lived a bit more countrified. So he had these bag of nails and the first day the boy had driven 37 nails into the fence. But soon it gradually dwindled down. He discovered it was easier to hold his temper in than to drive those nails into the fence. Finally the day came when the boy didn't lose his temper at all. He told his father about it and the father suggested that the boy now pull out one nail for each day that he was able to hold his temper. The days passed and the young boy was finally able to tell his father that all the nails were gone. The father took his son by the hand and led him to the fence. He said, you have done well my son but look at the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. When you say things in anger, they leave a scar just like this one. You can put a knife in a man and draw it out. But it doesn't matter how many times you say sorry, the wound is still there. Psalm 37 says this, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the new day the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. And the chapter goes on to say in verse eleven but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. So who are the meek, these that enjoy great peace? They're those who have learned to trust their lives to the Father. You can afford to be meek if you know that the Almighty is looking out for your interest. It is impossible to be meek if you're simply trying to take care of yourself. The moment I try to control other people... I lose my peace. I lose peace because I'm not authorised to do that. My life can be an influence. Sometimes in a role of authority and because of that role, maybe have more influence than otherwise. But bottom line, I'm not responsible or even able to control people. I leave that business between them and God. It's about the wise choices that I'm going to do and the wise choices that you do that we're going to be held accountable for. Romans 12:18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Why is the verse worded that way? Because all I can be responsible for is my side of the argument. I can't make others agree with me. And there was a situation a couple of weeks ago where someone was quite hurt with me at work and uh, Grizz is saying that happens like every hour of the day, but hopefully it doesn't. But they came in and started shooting arrows. or They didn't properly shoot arrows, but they're angry and going, you did this. and I started to go, well, you did this, you did this. I was ready to, to send back spears in their direction. But then I realised, well, I couldn't control what they felt and actually, probably some of the things I'd done weren't helpful, but I couldn't control my response. And actually, it got de- dealt with a lot quicker than a lot of situations because putting some of this stuff into practice. And that's really important that we look about what we can do. So I can choose to forgive other people. I can choose to have a peaceable and respectful attitude towards them but I'm also responsible to guard my heart and make sure it is loving and gracious towards others. But if I think I'm gonna make that other person do what is right for them to do, I'm probably gonna end up frustrated and angry. We read earlier one of the classic passages that deals with anger from Ephesians 4.26. The King James Version, or some of you perk up as soon as I say that, or the King James Version, That says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. And the next verse says, and do not give the devil a foothold. And Paul then in verse 31 says, well, when we give the devil, Satan, a foothold, he starts to do his dirty work. And the first result is bitterness. And you begin to think about all the bad things people do and say to you. And all the insults and all the inconsiderate things that go on. Then Paul says, after the bitterness comes rage and anger. Rage is bitterness boiling and bubbling inside you. And anger is rage being expressed. It's no longer just inside you. Now you begin to kick the cat. Hopefully you don't because RSPCA will be there. You also hit the wall. You begin to say all sorts of things until finally it becomes brawling shouting loudly slander and insults and often then we start shooting bullets it don't really matter who they hit as long as we get our revenge and at the end result of it Paul says is malice and malice means that you really desire to harm and so the ultimate end of stubborn anger is malice but Paul also doesn't just list the problem he lists the remedy here is the way to get rid of stubborn anger don't let the sun go down on your wrath and often we sort of use that as a glib thing to say to married couples aren't we of all oh, when you have an argument don't, oh, don't go to sleep or annoyed get it sorted but actually so many married couples say that has been the key to them Surviving really hard times of going we 're not going to let the sun go down we 're not going to go to sleep in a rage with malice we 're going to get it sorted out. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you, but some of you as I've been talking, go, well actually phil isn 't there sanctified anger isn 't that when we 're angry about something that God would be angry about because If you read even the passages before Naboth and Ahab and Jezebel, there's parts where it said God was angry. We see that quite a lot in the Old Testament. Well, there is sanctified anger, but that must be channeled in the right direction for God. Remember, Ephesians 4, 26 says, Be ye angry. There's a difference to being angry and to being angry and then sinning. Now, don't then think, oh, that means, Phil says, I can stew lots of stuff inside me. But when things we see in the world gets us angry, what do we deal about? What do we do? Well, there were different times in Jesus' life when he got angry. Let me read to you from Mark 3, 1 to 5. This is a passage that deals with a situation in the life of Jesus that is very revealing. It says, Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal them on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? They remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. You see, the focus of anger in their hearts, he is angry because of their stubborn anger. The sun has gone down, the sun has gone up, and the devil has established a foothold in their lives. And Jesus is angry at their stubborn anger. Then Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. The Bible said Jesus was tempted in all points, even as we are tempted but he never sinned. So this passage teaches us that Jesus became angry, but it wasn't sinful anger. It was sanctified anger, channeled anger, anger that has the right focus and the right object. Maybe an infusion of anger is the very thing that at times Christians need to become angry at the corruption of the world, to become angry at the forces of evil, to become angry at the injustices and godlessness in our world. But we can't use this as a get out of jail free card for letting our anger control us you can't say phil said we can be angry at the injustice of the world so we can get our placard start protesting and start whacking people with our placard and take our anger out this way because actually some of the things that puts me off mass protests when peop- Some of the things people are protesting about is I absolutely agree with what they're protesting about, but the way they go about it with anger and you can see hate going through many people there and they just want somebody to lash out of, that's what I don't agree with. We're going to be looking at Galatians in a couple of weeks' time. One expression of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is self-control. The more I'm submitted to the influence of the Holy Spirit, the less I'm going to be ever out of control in anger. So it's important that we, rather than let anger control us, we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and let him be in control. Romans 1217 to 21 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, said the Lord. On the the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the text we've looked at there gives us ways we can get rid of anger. Ephesians 4 also tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. The time to deal with anger is now. Don't wait till the explosion is about to happen. Think through your weeks to come about how you can address the underlying issues and then there'll be nothing left to explode. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger and every form of malice. So how might God want you to do that this morning? Has anything or anyone come to mind during this sermon? Is there anyone you need to forgive? You may or may not feel like forgiving that person. The decision to forgive is not really a feeling anyway. It's a decision you make in your will simply because it's the right thing to do. If you make that choice and confirm it in the days ahead, I believe God will help you. And feelings will eventually follow a forgiveness and kindness rather than the bitterness and rage that we've talked about. As we bow our heads in prayer and the, the band come up, let's affirm to Lord your f- decision to forgive. And as part of our prayer, we're going to read, or I'm going to read, the Ephesians 4 chapter. So let's pray together. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let an unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. It, it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Father God, we thank you that you care about us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit can guide. And as we sung earlier, that you go before us, you go behind us, you hem us in. And for those of us who feel out of control, who feel we need just help controlling our emotions, We pray that your spirit will help. And also you bring people around us who would just give us the words we need. Help us not have Jezebels around us who fan the flame of anger and hurt and bitterness. But help us be a people who can show your love and kindness in action, in trying situations, and be people who stand up about the injustices in the world, but do it in a way that shines you out of us, Lord. So be with us now. Give us the tools we need to put this into practice. Amen. The songs we sung earlier, the three we sung before the notices, were all about the power of God. And we sang those with great gusto, didn't we? But they're all about how God has power in our world. And when we feel out of control, just remember those songs and what we sung about if God is for us who can be against that God is our guardian our God is the lion and the lamb we're also going to finish with a song all about the second chances that God gives us because it's very easy to go away from a day like this and go well hang on I did get upset here I went too far at this point at the end of the story with Ahab we saw that Ahab this absolute tyrant, this person who is one of the worst kings you'll read about and is documented as that in the Old Testament. Well, God actually changed the punishment because he saw that Ahab came to him with had humility. He humbled himself. So if that happens to Ahab, the power we've sung about earlier on the, the, the blood that God has for us, as we read in 1 John earlier, that if we come to God, this power can just give us these second chances we're going to finish singing about. So don't be depressed, but think about what you need to do to put things right, but also about confessing to God and taking advantage of this wonderful forgiveness that his blood gives us. So let's stand together and sing about that.
1: hangs on this you make preciousness from dust please don't stop creating me your blood offers the chance to rewind to innocence reborn perfect as a child
2: with style. the second chance is heaven's hour, oh, your cross, oh, your cross, is changes everything, then my world begins again, Shown by this kindness, new light dawns over my soul.
1: safe this week now as we go Lord help us to find those people during the week that need to hear about you help us to find those people who need that second chance that third chance maybe Amen. Amen Great to see you see you all next week